Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Wonderful. It's good to be together. And we're going to you know, dive into the Word of God in a moment. Uh, earlier this morning, it was, as we were worshipping, um, I just felt, what does revival look like? You know, really, how does God see revival? The way I believe God sees revival, revival starts in our own hearts. Revival starts in our living room. Revival starts at home. Revival starts in your family and your children. Revival starts when nobody's watching, right? And, and um, the word ascendancy came to me this morning thinking about when the Word of God has ascendancy in our hearts individually, when nobody's watching. And the word ascendancy means occupation of a position of dominant power or influence, so when the Word of God has this occupation of influence and power in our lives, when nobody's watching, that's why it starts at home. That's why it starts in the living room. That's why it starts when, when you're going to work by yourself. You know, like, this is just an expression revival. Because every time we think of revival, we think, wow, meetings and revival, signs, wonders, miracles. That's all going to happen. That's just an expression of where revival starts in our hearts. When the ascendancy of God's Word literally takes rightful place in all our hearts. Amen. So we're going to dive into the Word of God this morning. I want to speak on how honor releases heaven. I believe this so much. This is such a powerful, powerful truth, powerful reality. Honor releases heaven. And if you're going to write down the title, familiarity hinders the anointing. The familiarity hinders God's presence, God's power, or God, what God wants to do. God desires to bring freedom and deliverance and healing to Australia. He wants revival right across this beautiful nation. God wants that. What's going to hinder it is familiarity, right? And so we need to create a culture of heaven. So we're building the kingdom culture of heaven. It starts here. It starts in your home. It starts in your own life. And, and we, we live it. And then the world's going to see and go, wow. And we'll we'll dive into it. You know what I mean by it in a moment. What does the word honor mean? When you look it up in the dictionary, many different definitions. Some people say it's a high respect or great esteem. Um, It's distinction or privilege or glory or tribute. Kudos. Who uses the word kudos these days? Um, It speaks of holding someone in great respect, having a great regard of someone, admiring, for me, my understanding of honor, my deepest definition from the Word of God, I think it means value. So the word, the word in the Greek, we use this word time, T-I-M-E. I'm sure you don't say it that way. Time, I don't know, how, I'm not a Greek. But time, it means value. To value someone or something highly means you honor them. And the first commandment that God gave us was to honor your parents. And the, and the promise with that is that it will go well with you, that you live a long life and it will go well with you. There's something powerful about honor. Yet the, 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 the culture of this world does the opposite. One of the traits that Paul says in the last days, be perilous, perilous times will be this, this, thankless, this, this. And he said, disobedient to parents. Why is that? A lack of honor in our culture. We, we trash parents. We joke about parents. And we can say it online. We can say it to their face. And, we, and people laugh and think it's humor. Because we don't understand honor. We haven't grown up with honor. We don't understand it. And I, I think, well, where does honor come from? This, this value, where does it come from? 
It, it comes from God the Father, right? It, it, when, you, when you look at a word, I've done a, stu- a study of, of the word honor in the, in the Bible, and it speaks of glory and honor surround your throne. It speaks a lot about glory and honor is of you, and it belongs to you, and it, it, it's God. So glory and honor. Honor comes from God. He's honorable, right? And then in Psalms 8, it says that God made us in His image and His likeness. And He says that God clothed or crowned man with glory and honour. So He's clothed us with glory and honour. But remember, we, we lost the presence of God. We were separated from God. So we lost honour. We lost our value. We lost, that's the biggest thing that took place. We lost our value. Even though God clothed us with glory and honour, we lost that value. So where does it come from? It comes from God. Being restored in a love relationship with God, we, we are restored to the value Think about it. If you don't get this revelation from God, when we realize how much He values us and honors us, that He highly, God highly esteems every one of you. He values you so highly. Think about how much He values. When we go to heaven, when when this is all over, when when, when we die, eventually breathe our last breath and we go to heaven, you're going to go, oh my goodness, I missed out. I really believe we're going to go, oh, Lord, if I only knew what I know now, I would have lived completely different. Because like Heidi mentioned, the Word of God in Ephesians 1 and 2, picture it through God's eyes. Really, really believe what I'm about to tell you. Not just, oh, it's a good preach, it's a good message, it's a good truth, yeah, it's in the Bible. Really believe that God honoured you because he, when He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, Jesus didn't die for Himself. He died to bring value back to you. He died to bring us back to Him. So we, when we talk about, you know, he defeated death, a beautiful song, there's no rival and, and you know, none, none, can, none can rival Jesus and he's, he's raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God, 100% true. But Ephesians 2 says, you who were dead in your sins, he made alive with Christ and seated us with Christ in heavenly places. So God has valued you and, high, and highly honoured you to the point where he seated us to the highest place in the universe at the right hand of God. That's how much He's valued you. Now, when you believe that, and I believe that, I'm going to feel honoured. See, I can't give what I don't have. I have to believe that I'm honoured by God. That's where it starts. I have a relationship with God. He's restored me to Himself. And now He's given me the highest place. He sat us down in heavenly places with Christ. What Christ has, I have. He's the, he's the head. I'm the, we're the body. We've got to be living together. You can't have a headless body. We're joined. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. We are joined heirs with Christ. So the position that Christ has, you have. He actually honors you. That boggles me at my mind. My brain still, I've been walking with this for 30 years. I'm still going, my Lord, do I really believe my value comes from God? Because if I do, I'm going to have a sense of value as a son and a daughter. When I have value, I can give value. I can give honor to other people. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and rebuked the religious leaders and says, how can you believe when you seek the honor from man, and you don't seek the honor that only comes from God. You're supposed to seek the honor that comes from God. Because, but when you seek it from man, see, honor is an interesting thing. You can't seek it from each other. You can give it to each other, but you can't seek it. So you can receive it from God and you get, get this honor, this value, that how much He loves you. I'm valued, I'm special, I'm honored by God. Now that I got it, I can give away honor. 
But if I look for it, isn't it? It's like love. If I look for love, I miss it. But when I know that I'm loved, I give love away. It's a powerful key, I'm telling you. This is so vital because it comes out of your relationship with God. You can't get it any other way. The moment you and I try to get it another way, you short-circuit the whole process of God. It short-circuits. It won't work when we seek honor from each other. Jesus says, how can you believe when you seek honor from each other and don't seek the honor that only comes from God? See, this beautiful, again, value. God, you valued me. Take it personal. Put yourself in that revelation. You valued me and sat me at the right hand of the Father God. When you and I have a revelation of God, John the Baptist, John, John the uh, Apostle saw Jesus in the island of Patmos and fell down as a dead man because his face shined glo- gl- more glorious than the sun, more powerful than the sun. The brilliance of the sun's light was exploding out of the face of Jesus in his glorified state. So could you imagine God the Father on his throne? Magnificent to the point where these seraphim angels, the Bible says seraphim angels, uh, the actual f- word means fiery angels. They're, they're made out of fire. They've got six wings. With two wings, they close their eyes. Some of them have got eyes all over their whole body and they fly around God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All for eternity. And they have to close their eyes because the glory and the brilliance of God the Father. When John describes what he saw on the front, it's like an emerald shining in all its brilliance. It's like you just can't explain what he saw. And we're seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's honour. If we just hear it and don't believe it, we won't receive that honor. Luke chapter 4 gives us something very interesting. This is Jesus, the very words of Jesus. And this happened to Jesus. You know the story, but let's read it. I want to read the context so we get the, the picture of what's actually happening. Jesus has been preaching all around the place. He actually been to Campanium and did great miracles there. So it's a, down, it's, a, it's a town not far away. And, and now he's gone to Nazareth. Look at this. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out throughout all surrounding region. Everybody's hearing of his fame and all that's happening. He, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Everybody think about that. He's being glorified by, every, by all. Everywhere he goes, he's being glorified. They're accepting him as the Messiah, the son of the living God, the prophet from Nazareth. He's doing great miracles, signs and wonders. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Make sure the Bible writes that because he wants you to know that. The Bible wants us to know, well, God wants us to know. This is where he was brought up. Now, this is where Jesus was playing down the street with all the other brothers and sisters, all the other um, cousins and all the other friends in the town of Nazareth. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, this is pretty, I mean, this is Jesus, the son of God. So it's not gutsy because he's just reality and identity. But this is his hometown. And he reads this this portion of scripture from Isaiah. Think about this, how he read it and what was happening to the atmosphere of the people. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He reads that out loud. Then he closed the book of Isaiah and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were there in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he sat down and he began to say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. What audacity. 
What confidence. What boldness. What courage. But yet what humility. Because that's the reality of this is who he is. But he told his hometown people that knew him, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of the living God. I'm the one that all the scriptures for thousands of years, all the prophets spoke about. I'm he. I'm the son of the living God. God in the flesh. They knew what the Messiah meant. And look what it says. So all bore witness to him. Everyone means everyone. Everyone in Nazareth were bearing witness. And all marveled at the gracious words which proceed out of his mouth. All marveled at the gracious words. If you want to write down scriptures for yourself going home, uh, um, Matthew talks about this same time. In Matthew 13, 54 to 58, this is how it reads. They said, um, when Jesus arrived in the hometown of Nazareth, he began teaching the people in the synagogue. Everyone was dazed, overwhelmed, astonished over the depth of revelation they were hearing. They said to one another, where did this man get such great wisdom and miraculous powers? Isn't he just the woodworker's son? See, you've got to remember, when Jesus is speaking, the presence of God has been released. Jesus said himself in John chapter 6, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. They carry the presence of God. They carry the life of God. Jesus' words does. True? Do you believe that? And we know that Isaiah, I'm sorry, the Old Testament prophets stopped prophesying 400 years before John the baptizer came. So we've had 400 years of silence. Now Jesus has come on the scene. They haven't heard it like this before. They were marveling at the gracious words that are on his lips. And they were, I believe they all bore witness that what's happening. We've never sensed the presence of God like this. This guy speaks with authority. The presence of God is here. They could sat- his words were saturated with grace. It released God's presence. But a big thing happened. Big problem. Someone threw a massive wet blanket over the whole meeting. Look what this guy says. What someone said. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? As I read before, these guys, the translation says, um, isn't he just a woodworker's son? Isn't his mother named Mary? His four brothers, Jacob, Joseph, Simon and Judah, the fact that they could name his brothers, familiarity. We know his brothers. We know them by name. We know his Mary. We know the mother. And the people, it says, and he, and he goes, and, uh, and don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? They know his sisters. How did... He get all this revelation and power. And the people became offended and began to turn against him. Jesus said there's only one place a prophet isn't with honor in his own hometown. The only place a prophet doesn't have honor is in his own hometown, he says. They brought him down to Joseph's son. They brought him down just to a mere man. This is the, this is the woodworker's son. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. I mean... How could he have this? They, they didn't see him after the Spirit. They saw him in the natural. They were so familiar with Jesus, they couldn't see what God was doing in him. They couldn't see that he was truly the Son of God because they were familiar. The familiarity broke what God wanted to do. It hindered what God wanted to do. He said, no, Leo, you can't say that. Oh, well, the Bible says it. It actually says uh, look at it, it says here, and, that, and their great unbelief kept him from doing any mighty miracles in Nazareth. Their great unbelief. So it started with familiarity. It's just familiar. We know this guy. We grew up with him. My friends, my, my own kids played with this guy. Like, can he be the Messiah? I know he did miracles in Capernaum and I know all this stuff, but they reasoned, brought him down to the natural. Familiarity 
brought unbelief and then they were offended at him. It doesn't get better in Nazareth yet because look what it says here. Then Jesus took this opportunity and said this, Assuredly I say to you, this is in verse 24, Luke chapter 4, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, now he's going to drive something home so powerfully, most people miss this. He says something very powerful. But I tell you, the, I, I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up and free year, for three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout the land. Many widows were in Israel. What's the Lord saying? He said, I'm telling you the truth because a prophet's not owned in his own, owned in his own house or own country. Elijah was in Israel. Elijah is walking around with the anointing for breakthrough for widows. The anointing for breakthrough for financial breakthrough. He's anointed because he's like the portal. He's like the gate to heaven. He can hear God speak and speak the revelation and people can be set free. The, the deliverance for those widows was available. That's the point. God was not sitting in heaven. I don't want to heal the widows in Israel. He actually wants to heal the widows, but... It's not gonna, so you've got, to, you've got to understand, in the beginning, God made us in His image and His likeness, and He gave us authority to rule and reign. He gave over the authority to mankind. So who's got the authority? Mankind. We've got a free will, but we've also been given authority. And so Jesus says, but to none of them was Elijah sent. So that means Elijah was not sent to them. Why wasn't he sent to them? Not because God didn't want to send them. Because they had so much familiarity with Elijah, they, God knew it wouldn't work. God knew these guys see Elijah. We, we grew up with Elijah. Elijah lives down the street. We see Elijah all the time. They didn't respect Elijah as the prophet of God in Israel as they should have. So they were limited. It's like Jesus couldn't do many mighty miracles there. And so Elijah wasn't sent to the widows in Israel, but he was sent to Seraphath in the region of Sidon, which is not in Israel, to a woman who was a widow. So God sends Elijah to a widow that's not an Israelite. That's not a, doesn't, she's not a, a covenant with God. She's not a child of God. She's outside of the covenant. But she has faith enough to listen. You remember the story of that, that story? You, you know, I mean, I, I won't read it from Scripture, but if you want to write it down, if you want to look at it up, it's 1 Kings chapter 17, 8 to 16. The story goes, the Lord says, I've spoken to a widow that she will provide for you. Go to that widow. So he goes along the way and he sees his widow taking water out of the well and says, oh, give me something to drink. And so the widow goes, yeah, sure. I think the widow recognized him as a prophet of God personally. I believe that the fame of Elijah was so known that she would have known that he's the man of God. He's the prophet. And he goes, give me something to drink. And she goes, oh, sure. She gets something to drink. And then she goes in to get the drink or the water. And he's, oh, by the way, make me some food. Make me a cake, a piece of cake. And she goes, oh, by the way, look, I've only got a little bit of flour left, a little bit of oil. I was about to bake my last piece of cake with my two sons. We were going to eat it and we were going to die. This is my last meal. And the pr prophet, think about what you're asking a widow to do. That's okay. Give me that first piece. Make it for me first. Then after that, make it for your sons. And that oil and that flour will not run dry until the, this famine is over. And she had that faith to give it to him first. True? I think if Elijah went to the widows in Israel and said that to them, so you give me that last meal first, they would say, yeah, sure. Who do you think you are? You just want to feed your belly first. <laughs> Even though you made the promise that God will, will multiply that, that flower. The faith wasn't there. 
He was too familiar. In the same way that Jesus, the son of the living God, was limited in Nazareth. You know, Jesus was given the spirit without measure. That's what the Bible says. Without measure. There was no measure of the spirit of God upon Jesus. And yet it was limited because people looked at him as oh, just a carpenter's son. Familiarity. I want to show us how we can do this, how we end up doing this to each other. You'll see in a moment. We've got to be careful. Look what it says. And Jesus drives this, home, this, home, this point home again. He goes, and many lepers were in, was, were in Israel in the time of Elijah, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Not that God didn't want to cleanse the lepers. He did. But they were too familiar with Elijah. And Naaman, who's a general of the, of the enemy's um, army. Syria was the enemy of Israel. They raided Israel and took a, a slave girl from Israel, a Jewish lady, young lady. And she's the one that told Naaman. She must have loved them and said, hey, do you know there's a prophet in Israel that could heal you of your leprosy? And he goes, what? Are you serious? He goes to the king and says, I want to go to this prophet. He had so much faith. But you know the story. He had so much um, he had an expectation when he finally got, he got gold and silver and camels and laden with cloves and he wanted to give a gift. He's thinking worldly, I'm going to give a gift and surely then he'll give me this healing. And he goes there and he has an expectation of how it's going to happen. We all have an expectation of how God's going to move in our life, in our, in our meetings, in our, in our connect groups, in our church. We just have an expectation, in our business, in our marketplace. God's going to move this way. We all have some sort of expectation. It's good to have an expectation. He had an expectation, surely the man of God will come out of the house, wave, pray some powerful prayer, and declare and touch the body and heal me. But what did he do? Elijah, Elijah didn't even come out of the house. Sent a servant, said, tell him to wash in this Jordan River, which is much dirtier than the ones in Damascus. Seven times, dip seven times, your, your, your flesh will be like babies. And he got angry. He even says, he thought surely he was going to do such and such. Expectation. Upset, angry. And eventually, the story, you've got to read it. The story goes, it's in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 19. The story goes where his servant says, if he asked you to do a hard thing, you probably would have done it. All he asked you to do is go into the water seven times. So he did it, and he got healed. God wanted to heal the lepers in Israel. Familiarity stopped the power and anointing of God. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20 says, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Again, a prophet, yes, it's exactly that, a prophet, but also a prophet is a man or a woman of God. We're all men and women of God. Do you know that? Every single one of us here are men and women of God. And so God places gifts in every one of us. John chapter 4, really quickly, I just want to show you something here that I think this happens to us so many times that we don't even realize it. John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the, the lady at the well um, in Samaria, and he says to, to, to this woman, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me, and he would have given you living water. Jesus, the son of the living God, the Messiah, was speaking to a woman and she had to recognize who he really is to get out of him living water. She thanked God she did eventually because he kept speaking to her and everything. But he, he's saying, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me. Sometimes we're in the presence of great men or women. And we're in the presence of 
greatness and we don't even realize who they are. Have you ever been in the presence of someone great and you do all the talking? Don't try to impress them with your words and knowledge and all that. I've seen it happen to people. If you're in the presence of someone, ask them questions. Be the one that's hungry. Be the one that's searching. Be the one that's seeking. Dudley Daniel, who leads the, or used to lead the apostolic team that we're in partnership, NCMI, he came to us about 25, 26 years ago. Our church was small, and he preached and all that and ministered in our church. He wore shorts and a T-shirt. And when he finished and left, I said to myself, and I thought to myself, you know what? We as a church didn't know what manner of man was among us. We missed it. I mean, he ministered. He did all that he could, but we didn't know what he was carrying. So we didn't pull out everything that was in him. All that we could have received, so to speak. But in South Africa, he was leading, he was leading an apostolic network of churches in relationship of about 100, 100 churches. And we just thought, oh, yeah, some guy's coming to speak as a guest speaker. Can you see how we don't draw out of all that's on that person? Every one of us here has the words of eternal life. Did you know that? If you understand salvation and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what He's done for you on the cross, you've accepted and you've been born again, you have the words of eternal life. Your friends, your family, your workmates might not know that. And sometimes I think to myself, man, we have the words of eternal life. If you only knew, you would ask, you would seek, you would inquire. We could give you the words of God. But if they don't see you that way, they won't ask, will they? This is so powerful, guys. I want, to, I want to show it's all over the Bible. Joshua honored Moses. We know that for 40 years, then God anointed Joshua to lead in the next season. Elijah honored Elijah to the point that he served him and washed his, you know, he, he served his hands. He just did everything. David honored Saul, King Saul. Daniel honored the kings that were, that were not saved. You know, he served them. Timothy honored Paul. Apostles, all the apostles honored Jesus. In Romans 12, verse 10, it says, There's a kindly affection one to another, be, be kind to one another. With brotherly love, in honor, prefer one another. And basically it says, In the culture of honor, prefer one another and honor one another. Again, remember, honor, you can give it away, but you can't look for it, you can't seek it. You know, when I was young, I was learning some of these things and I was talking about last week how I fell into, if you remember, I fell into negativity, I fell into criticism, I fell into judgmental attitude and I got really, really negative to the point where I couldn't see anything good in the church anymore. I literally just saw all the bad. And, and, and the enemy tricked me through a lot. I'm, a, I'm such a, I was a prayer and intercessor and I prayed a lot. So God starts to show you what you need to pray for. He shows you what you should pray for. But out of my insecurity, I started to say, hey, guys, I can, we should be praying. We should do this. And you know what's wrong with the church? This. And I started unconsciously put everyone down and everything down and leadership down. And I just, I, I got, I felt so bad that I, I just got negative. It's really bad. And when God, through His loving grace, I got corrected a couple of times, I got into a place where I thought, you know, God, if what I'm doing is wrong, I'm not going to be negative ever ever again. I'm not going to be critical ever again. I'm going to stop it now. I made this strong decision that I'm not going to do it. And then a few months later, God showed me some deep revelation about honoring, about what I sow, you shall reap. You know, judge not lest you be judged. With the measure that you judge others, shall you be measured, you know, back to you and you, know, you reap what you sow. And so to the degree that I learned to submit to my leaders, to the degree I learned to submit, will determine the degree that others will submit to me. 
I had to learn some principles of honor and understand. I didn't know these things. And so you got to remember, God, I got saved at 19 and God called me to start a church. I started a church at 22. So this is three years learning. I had to learn quick when you're young. That, was my, that is my training. So God would say to me, Leo, um, I was about 20 years old. I asked my dad, Dad, I want to go to Melbourne. And I've got a lady friend, which is Christine. I, I like her. I want to see if she's the right person. And what do you think? Should I go to Melbourne? And he goes, what are you asking me for? Because I've never asked him in my life. Never. I'm 20 years old by now. And I wouldn't ask him to do that. And in Italian, he'd say, what, what's it to me? Like, if you want to go, go. Like, he was so un, uh, uncomfortable with me asking and, and submitting authority. I did that with my mom about Christine. I did my, I, I, um, uh, with my pastor. Again, I'm learning this. I'm, I, please hear my heart. I'm not asking this to happen unless it's revelation. It's got to be real. You can't do this. I'm going to do this so that I can get a position. Well, then you've got the wrong motive. But God will show me. And, I, and the Lord said, speak to your pastor. And ask him if you can preach down at Wollongong. There's a small church that wanted me to preach. And I said, look, uh, opportunities open up. What do you think? Is it okay for me to go? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Cool. At first it was scary because the Lord had said to me, I would, yeah, the Lord would say to me, Leah, if you ask and he says no, and you go ahead and do it anyway, then that's not submission. Are you ready to submit? He's getting me ready. Are you ready? And that was, the preaching was hard, but it wasn't that hard. And, and he was all for it anyways. Like, I, I was shocked enough. He's a father. He actually wants the best for me because I didn't understand authority or respect authority or trust the honor that's on their life. And so one time, the Lord opened up 2RDJ to us. I'm like 20 years old to preach the gospel on radio for a whole year. But the Lord said, ask your pastor for permission. That if, if it's okay, I'm, I was so scared. That probably was a hard one because I thought, what happens if he says no? The opportunity to preach on radio. I was so zealous and young. <gasps> Man, this is going to be amazing. On radio. Me on radio. No way. I was like, that's how I felt. I'm trying to show you how I felt. And I said, but if, if he says no, you've got to obey. Don't go ahead and do it anyway. So when I asked him, he was so for it. He goes, wow, that's awesome. We don't want to hinder your ministry. And he gave me a $400 check to pay for the radio. And he was just all for it. I go, oh, he's teaching me something. Teaching me to honor, teaching me to understand what it looks like, what honor should look like. Um, I would, I was going to Melbourne to pray and fast one time just to see God. And, and I, the Lord said, ask you if it's okay with your pastor. And I'd sit with him and say, Look, I want to ask you. And he was a bit shocked because no one was doing it. He goes, Thanks for doing that. This is what he said. He said Thanks for doing that because a lot of people leave, they go to Tim, Tim, what is it? Tim Buck 2, that place they, they say. Yes, they go to Timbuktu and then they ring me from there and go, oh, by the way, we'll be away for four or five weeks. Oh, okay. But when you're on leadership responsibility, I was in responsibility in the leadership. So please understand where I'm coming from. I would ask him, what you, is it okay if I went? So what, what do you want to go for? I'm praying and fasting, seeking God. Okay, that's great. And then when I told him, he says, what date? And I said, around these dates. He says, oh, would you be able to wait for a couple of weeks? Because I've got some pastors from America coming, a minister. I'd love for you to be around. I'm okay. I was shocked that he wanted me around and he trusted me to be around. Oh, that's great. And so the more I submitted to his position as someone over me, the more he would want to give me more authority. He trusted me more because it was a genuine submission. Does that make sense? It was a genuine understanding of what honor should look like. And this is true with one another. One another. I believe God places gifts and anointing. Remember, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, every one of us have gifts and anointing and special calling by God that we all need. Every one of us. And so God will bring the breakthrough on someone. Maybe David's got a breakthrough for someone, for financial breakthrough. It's in him. But you've got to be humble enough 
to seek and ask and honor the gifting and anointing that's on his life. He does it on purpose. He hides those special gifts in each and every one of us because we need each other. If we're all a part of the body, which we are and we all know it, we're all a part of a body. Eh? You know that. Just like our body is different parts, different fun- every part has a function. So you have a function in this body that other parts need. So only in humility that we get it out of each other when we honor each other. Remember, prefer one another. In honor, prefer one another. I mean, Sally gave me a word just recently, a month. She won't even know. But she gave me a particular word about a month ago, prophesying over me. Everything was right. And something, everything she was saying was spot on. And then this particular one, I was like, wham! I've got to tell you later, how, later, later, when it comes true. But <laughs> I'll open up about it. But I'm telling you, she doesn't know that. But see, God used her and blew wind in my sail in that particular area. We need one another desperately. But if we don't, if we just, we're familiar. We just, oh, that's my brother. Tony can look at me. This is my brother. And I can do the same to him. But God's got gifts in him that I need. I need to submit to what's on his life and receive from him the same way he does with me. This is true for all of us. The, the thing is, everything we do creates culture. Everything releases culture. To, to, you know, like, I remember Miguel prayed for someone, uh, it, working for Tony, and he prayed for someone at work. They were lifting boxes, and this guy goes, oh, he's, he's an elderly man, he had a sore back. He goes, I can't move it, I've got, I've got a sore back. I've had a sore back for something like 20-something years. I heard this testimony because Miguel prayed for him, just a believer, prayed for him at the workplace, got instantly healed. The guy comes to our church building, our church service, and I'm at the front, and I say hello to him, and he tells me, oh, one of your people prayed for me. I said, really? He said, yeah, and I got healed. I said, serious. And he, go, and, and he goes, I had a horse accident about 20-something years ago, and I fractured my back. I've had so many operations. I've had painkillers all the time, and it's totally gone. He goes, I don't know if it's mind over matter or not. I said, mind over matter? It doesn't sound like mind over matter to me. Two weeks. I said, have you had any pain for two weeks? There's nothing. That sounds like Jesus to me. Because you haven't had no, no, no pills, nothing. And it was a horse accident. I mean, everything. And he's elderly and he's got totally healed. And, and then he says the story. He tells the testimony. This man in church service. And our reaction was a little bit petty, if you know what I'm saying. The way we react to a miracle testimony releases something. Because we, do we believe what we just heard? Do we believe God just did a miracle? Do we respond with greatness and joy and, I mean, sort of gratefulness? It really, everything we do releases something. Everything. Now, I was prophesied by Sean Bowles, Christine and I. Sean Bowles prophesied a word for us, but I think sometimes I think we could have so missed it because we almost didn't even go to the meeting. Almost didn't even go to the meeting. We, we thought, it, I won't go to the week one. We're so busy ministering. We'll go, we'll go on Friday and Saturday. And we almost could have said, won't go to Friday and Saturday, yet God had a powerful word. God gave Sean Bolts before we even got there. He gave it to him early in that week. He's looking for us during the week. Where's, uh, Leo? Where's that Leo guy? He had a word for a Leo who was a pastor and knew Christy, Christy, if it's Christine, and we had five children. And he started prophesying clearly. And so, so how much do we honour the word of God when a word of God comes? But I think I could have easily missed it if I didn't honour so if I didn't honor enough to go to the meeting, I would have missed it. Because you've got to remain hungry, don't you? You've got to remain thirsty. You've got to be hungry for things of God. And, uh, you know, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. That's true of everything. Uh, you know, we honored Marcus as an electrician. You think it's actually true in the natural. He's an electrician. Came to our place and fixed our electricity. We honored the gift that's on his life. And guess what happened? Our electricity is working. 
No, I'm just, I'm just trying to show you it's not just spiritual. It's in everything. But you've got to honour the person. And he who receives a prophet in the name. Receive means openness and humility to receive and honouring that person and the gift that's on that person. Did you, do you want heaven to be hindered here or do you want heaven to be released? Amen. Culture's everything. If you're not happy with the culture that's in our church, think about this for a second. Please hear my heart. If you're not happy with the culture that's in our church, it could be anything. It could be people are just um, are distant or people, there's not enough love. I mean, one person, she was leaving the church and the pastor says, what's wrong? He says, I'm leaving the church. Why? There's not enough love in the church. There's not enough love. And, she, and the guy, the pastor says, do, do you have love? He says, yes, I have love, but there's not enough love in the church. Well, why are you leaving if we need love? So like, look at it this way. If, if we, we, we're upset because people are apathy. People are apathetic, apathetic. Or people are a bit lazy. Or people, oh, people aren't on, on fire. People are a little bit worldly, a little bit distracted. If that's the case, be that culture. I'm not happy. You know, I'm the lead this church for 30 years. I'm not happy with a lot of things in the church. One thing I'm not happy with is the prayer culture. 100% not. But I don't give up praying. If I'm not happy with the prayer culture, if the, people aren't praying enough, imagine if I just say, well, that's it. I'm not praying because everyone else is not praying. I just give up. What's, I mean, what, imagine if I did that. But what I'm saying, whether you're a believer or a pastor, if you're not happy with someone, be the prayer culture. Be the answer. Be the, just do it. Don't get, don't get frustrated that others aren't doing it. Just be that. That would be kingdom. That would be releasing honour. We've been submitting to an apostolic team for 25, 26 years, and I believe it's helped us understand the blueprint of church the Bible way. It's kept us sane. It's protected us from burnout. It's helped us build the Bible way. I can't explain any other way, but for a relationship, because we submit to the gifts on their life. That's true of any translocal gifts. The fact that we've been in some sort of relationship with Bethel Church because of the school that's in that we hold. So we're exposed to the apostles, the prophets, the Chris Vellatons, the Bill Johnstons, the Danny Silks. We're exposed to those pastors, apostles, and evangelists. And through the school and through our receiving from them, we receive what's on their life. And we get the DNA of what's on their life. Does that make sense? But we have to honour them. To the degree we listen, receive and apply the Word, we're honouring the gift that's on their life. Bill Johnson, his story was just, I heard it recently, he said something about... um, his, his, I'll cut it down short, but he was gracious and generous for 27 years of his life. They, always, they never gave less than 20% of their income. He never had a struggle with giving because all his life from a childhood, he just gave all the time. But they never had massive breakthrough. And then one day the Holy Spirit said to him, a couple that's in their church, not apostles, not prophets, not pastors, they weren't full-time ministers. They were anointed for business. And everything they touched went to gold in the, in the business world, market world. And the Holy Spirit said, get them to pray for you. Just lay hands on you. Nothing powerful happened. Like they didn't shake, you know, rattle, roll and receive something. Ooh, you know, it was just a simple prayer. Everything changed after that. That's his testimony. And everything changed from that moment because they honoured what was on their life. I'm trying to help us see. Let's walk in humility. Let's realise that God's placed gifts and abilities. And I believe sometimes the very breakthrough you need is in your brother and sister.
And you need to honor them and really and pull it out of them. Don't be familiar. It's so easy. We are familiar. In Italian, familia means family. We are familia. You know, we're the real familia. And God the Father is our God. But don't be familiar with our familia. Don't be familiar with our family. I look at you guys, I look at sons and, sons and daughters. I see champions. I see mighty men. I see mighty women. Let's not hinder what God is doing in us. Let's bring it out. Bring the gold out. I'm telling you, this is how heaven is going to be released. Our miracles are going to happen. Signs, wonders, miracles, presence of God, freedom, deliverance. Biggest thing I could say is, let's be the culture. In a house, Paul says, 2 Timothy, in a house, there's vessels of gold and there's vessels of silver and there's vessels of clay. And they used, in a, in a normal house, you've got precious vessels and you've got not so precious vessels. Now what Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves that we may be a vessel unto honour. The good news is you just have to cleanse yourself. I just have to cleanse my own heart, cleanse my own motive, cleanse my own mouth. I just have to say, God, fix me. Change me so I can be a vessel of honor. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We're the church of the living God. We're the city that's set on a hill. We're the temple of God. We're children of the Most High God. We're the family of God. Lord, we're, we're the building of God. Lord, we thank you that you use us as the gateway to heaven, the, the portal to heaven, because we're citizens of heaven already we belong to the King help us to honour help us to receive the honour that God the Father gives us help us to receive and believe the honour that His Son Jesus gave to us we're seated at the right hand of our Father and Lord because we receive this value this honour this position that God gives us we honour each other we freely give it away Lord we love you, Father. Let us be a family that demonstrates what it's like to live in heaven. We pray for this. Do it in our lives. Do it in our hearts. Just in your own hearts. Whatever Holy Spirit's highlighting, just deal with it. Just say, God, I, forgive me for this attitude. Forgive me for bringing dishonour. Forgive me for speaking against these people. Forgive me, Lord. Just deal with it right now. Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Just respond to Him. Respond to Him. Adjust our own hearts. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.